Amen. It's always humbling getting up here and preaching the Word of God. Um, you know, I like the transparency, just honesty, rental had in, in when you're preparing something that God gives you, the conviction it brings in your own heart, just the scriptures, and you're like, man, how can I get up here and preach this when, when the Lord's working this in me? But, amen, I pray that this message would, uh, would be a, a stirring in our hearts, um, in our walk with the Lord, and um, I appreciate just messages that God gives me and God gives men of God that are just very practical in, in our everyday walk with God, um, the practicality of, of just the message of God. And amen, there's wonderful messages that, that go beyond that, that we need as well. But um, I wanted to open up with a, a scripture and then we'll go to a passage uh, that the Lord gave me. But you don't have to go there. I just want to open up with this. It's in Matthew 15, verses 11 to 12. It says, not that which goeth into the man, into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? And the message that the Lord gave me this morning, uh, I've titled it, Don't Be Offended. Humbling ourselves before the Lord, and it's it's neat how just even the Sunday school lesson this morning, just kind of uh, same thing um, led up to this message the Lord gave me. But we know that Jesus, when he was on this earth, he performed many miracles and he did wonderful things for people. He healed them of sicknesses, he cast out demons, and he taught many things. But many of the things that Jesus also said offended a lot of people. And this is just one passage uh, where things that Jesus said offended people. And when the Lord speaks to me, I don't want to be offended and reject what he says. Um, but I'll tell you this morning that God's going to speak things into your life, into my life, that's going to personally offend us. It's going to offend this carnal, fleshly man that's inside. Amen. But the question is, how do we react? Can we let God speak directly to what's wrong in our hearts? Amen. You know, when we preach and teach this word, when men of God get up here, or, or if you hear other men, the messages, men of God, men and women of God, whose message is from the Lord, um, inevitably it's going to offend us. In some way or another, because God is going to be touching things in our life that need correcting and that need changing. Amen. And if we're men and women of God, children of God, we desire to grow in the Lord. Right. And God is sanctifying us and his grace is doing that work. But in the practicality of our walk with God, God is going to be touching particular things in my heart and in your heart that we're not going to necessarily like. But I want God to do that in my heart. Amen. And, um, and I want God's prophets and God's preachers to have that freedom to speak that into my life. Amen. And into into all of our hearts. And it's not that the preaching of, of the word of God is done with the with the purpose of offending. Because that can be done as well and done in foolishness. But that the message of God is given and it will inevitably offend us in one way or another. Amen. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not always warm and fuzzy, right? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is going to cut deep. It's going to cut right into the issue. And it doesn't matter what Alberto de Puy puts in the, in the front for people to see. Oh, he's such a humble guy. He's such a godly guy, whatever, or for yourself. God knows and sees the intents of the heart. Amen. It doesn't matter how it may appear to anyone. It's, it's what God sees. Amen. And that's what's important. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven six. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. It said, blessed is that person that's not going to be offended in Jesus. Amen. Well, let's turn to this passage in 2 Kings. If you can turn with me, 2 Kings chapter 5. I read this a while back, and this is where God uh, stirred this message in my heart. I hope everyone can hear me okay. I'm kind of short. I'm adjusting the mic here. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. We're not going to go through every single verse, but we are going to go through the passage and just draw some things out of it. It's wonderful how God uses these prophets. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given him deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And you'll see this in the Bible many times, even though this is physical leprosy. Leprosy is a, is a symbol of sin. Okay, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God that my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So let me just stop right here real quick. So here's this great man. He is a Gentile. He's not exposed to the word of God. Um, He's a leper. And it says that he's a great man. So he's a captain. He's a military man that's had a lot of success, a lot of honor. The king of Syria honors him as well, okay? But he is stricken with leprosy. There, it's incredible how God places the children of God in certain places for certain times, for certain purposes. Here's a slave, basically a little slave girl. Probably didn't want to be enslaved by a Gentile, but it's incredible how God uses her here. So this is a, a, a very, the lowliest person in the house. And she speaks into the issue and she's, she's basically saying, I know the answer to your problem. The man of God, the prophet in Samaria, is able to heal you. He's able to, to speak into this issue, okay? Let's keep reading. And it says, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. So, I think by now, there's a, a big desperation. Leprosy, there's not medicine for it like there is now. There's not treatment for it like there is now. So desperate even to hear what this little slave girl has said. They're going into the king's court and saying this. Um, and the king of Syria said, Go, 
Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. So the slave girl says, prophet, the king of Syria, here's king. And so he sends these gifts to the king. And we're not we don't have time to go into this, but the king of Israel has no answer. He's he's he tears his clothes in fear. Oh, you know, what's what's this guy want? Has no absolutely no answer. I pray that. When men and women come to us with great issues, that we aren't scrambling for the answer. Amen. That's a whole other sermon. (laughs) Verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet of Israel. Amen. Thank God. For men and women of God, there are prophets that speak God's word. He says, I want king for this man, this Gentile man, to know that there is a prophet in Israel. Amen. Verse nine. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So here comes Naaman. The king of Israel doesn't have the, the issue, the problem. I mean, the solution to the issue And here comes Naaman in his glory. He comes with his horses. He comes with his chariot. He comes with his his men. And he stands at the door of the house of Elisha. Okay. He's coming to the house of God. He's coming to the house of God knowing that he has a problem and that the solution is going to be here. Okay. And this is incredible how Elisha responds because it's not necessarily how I would have responded. And it's amazing to see how God responds to situations and not how man responds. Amen. It's so important to hear from God. It's so important to let God speak how he speaks. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Okay, Naaman's a, a pretty important man. Okay, he's a man. He's a noble He's a man of great prestige. He's come to your house. What does Elisha do? He doesn't go out there and speak to him. He sends a messenger. And then the messenger relays Elisha's message from God to him of what he needed to do. And and what he needed to do was to go into the river Jordan and to wash seven times. Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So Naaman, he had in his mind how he thought God needed to address the situation. Why didn't he come and wave his hands and, and make it just go away? Why didn't he just... You know, you know, speak and, and it would be done, right? This is what this slave girl told me was going to happen. This is what I thought. And he, it says wrath means uh, a great anger. I mean, he was a raging anger. He was angry. He was so upset. And he basically says, um, in verse 12, he says, are not Abana and far, far rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned, he turned and he went away in a rage. He left the house of God in anger that this is the message that he got. How dare this man speak to me this way? How dare him tell me this? 
Why can't I just go back home and wash in my own river, in the rivers in my own home country, right? Let's keep reading. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Thank God for people around our lives that can speak sense to us. Okay, they basically told him, hey, Naaman, captain, if it would have been some greater thing, you're a great warrior, you know, you, you obviously he has ambition. If there, were, if there was a greater thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more the simple thing that God's asked of you to do? Why don't you just do it? And so when Naaman hears this, he has a decision to make. And these are his inferiors, again, speaking to him, his servants speaking to him. Look at the response. Verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. Okay, according to the word of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Incredible. So we, we see how in the Old Testament, it's types and shadows of the New Testament, right? So here, this, this dipping seven times is almost a symbol of baptism, right? Which is a symbol of repentance. In, in this leprosy, this sin is dealt with at the River Jordan. This sin is dealt with at the River of God. And that baptism, that repentance that Naaman does brings the solution to the sin in his heart, right? Because obviously it was leprosy that God was healing him physically of, but he was dealing with the pride in his heart, right? Because God didn't even use that leprosy to humble him because lepers in this time, we don't have time to go into it, they were cast out from society because no one else wanted to get it, right? So there was, there was a humility in that as well. But what did he do? He just, he became vulnerable Vulnerable before his men, vulnerable before what the man of God had said and said, you know what, I'm just going to go and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in faith. And there he goes to the, the river, muddy, probably not very nice looking river. And he gets in there and he does what God told him to do. And as soon as he does it, it says that it was like a child. His skin was like a child's skin. He was clean. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God he and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So when God did this, he knew in his heart, this is the God of God. This is the Lord. And what did he do? He returned to the house of God in a sense, right? And he went and he made that confession of faith. And we don't have time to go into the rest of, of the passage, but he, he has a conversation with Elisha, and there's a desire in his heart to continue serving God. Amen. And here in this particular instance, we see that God's method and message caused an offense. But obedience and faith would cause a miracle of healing and newness. Do you see how this message caused an offense? But there's such a fear even today in the church world, we don't want to offend people. And I mean, I'm not saying that we just go offend people just to offend people, but why is there such a fear to just let the word of God speak and let the word of God be spoken the way it needs to be spoken? 
Because that's what's really going to bring healing. God had to deal with this man the way he dealt with it to really bring sincere healing in his heart. Amen. And that's what God desires from our hearts. He desires a sincerity and an honesty before him. There's not mere words that mere words don't really mean anything to God. Okay, he's looking to the heart of man. And so we can say generalizations like, well, I'm just such a horrible sinner. I'm a, I'm a bad sinner in need of God's grace. And amen, we, we are those things. But what sins has God been dealing with me about? Have I even asked him? Why do I really need the Lord? What do I need the Lord to really do in my heart? And a lot of times we just leave it at a generalization, a very superficiality. I'm just such a horrible sinner. And, and God, forgive me. And that's all it's left at. But it's never God. How am I offending you? I'm talking about a born again person here. For a lost man, repentance is fundamental for salvation. A lost man has to come to a point where they realize that they are a sinner and they repent of those sins. But for the saved man, repentance is essential for sanctification to have its work. It has to be more than just I'm a bad sinner. Guys, we have to move beyond where we're saved, acknowledging that we're a sinner. But how am I a sinner? What are things that God needs to deal with in my heart? And I'm not going to allow God's preachers and his teachers and his prophets to speak those things into my heart. The church world today doesn't like that. All, all we want to hear about is just God's love and his mercy and his grace and amen, those things are important and those things are fundamental. I'm not speaking against those at all. But when God's message is trying to deal with specific issues in our heart, how do we respond? Do we, do we allow our flesh to be offended and never move beyond, beyond any of that? I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures just for time's sake. I'm just going to read it. Psalm 78 verse 35 to 37 says, And they remembered that God was their rock. And the high God, the Redeemer, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. And we don't have time to cover all this. We're covering a lot of scriptures. But in this particular instance, Israel was going through a lot of the same things, a cycle, kind of like almost similar to what happened in Judges, just a cycle. And this is what the this psalm is speaking about. And it says that they remembered, so they acknowledged, they remember that God was their rock and he was the redeemer. But what do they do? They flatter God with their mouths and they lie to him with their tongues, but their heart's not right with him. And they're not steadfast in his covenant. And we all know, I've heard the word flatter or flattery, but I went and looked it up and just what the definition was. And this is from a, a, just a secular uh, Williams uh, Webster Dictionary says to praise excessively from motives of self-interest. And so what is what does that really mean? So here we have an example of Israel praising excessively. But what is the motive? Self-interest. How is God going to make me feel? It's all about me. It's all about how God loves me. And he does, and that's important to know. But that's the only, that's, that's the, the focus. It's not, God, how can I love you? 
God, how can I obey you? God, how can I serve you? God, how can I be more and more like you? Because it, our focus needs to be about what, what's the Lord want? What does he desire? And so here they said the right things, but all of it was superficial. They didn't humble themselves and allow God to speak to their heart. Isaiah 29, 13 says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. And so here we see another example where superficially in the things that they were saying, they were saying the right things, but their heart wasn't right. And this is particularly striking, that last part, it says their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Instead of letting the word of God teach these Israelites what fearing God meant, men provided their own version of what that fear was. And so these people who Isaiah was speaking, he was prophesying to, he's saying these the fear that you're saying that you have of God, this is men-taught fear, and it's not God-taught fear. Amen, Lord. Help us to be sincere. God's call to humble ourselves. If y'all can turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 10. Very short verse, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Amen. And I'm going to look at just two quick examples in Chronicles. And we don't have to turn there if y'all can just follow along and, and uh, maybe write the notes down. But Second Chronicles Chapter 33, 11 to 13. This is a, and there's many examples of this, but this is King Manasseh. And he was a, he was a pretty bad guy. He was not a, a good king. But it's incredible what happens when God brings him to a humbling situation and how he responds. It says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that he was God. You see how this happened in Naaman and here it happens again. So God brings Manasseh to a very humble place where he's defeated and it says, it didn't just say that he humbled himself, kind of. It says he humbled himself greatly before his God. And God was entreated of him. And God hurt him. And God brings him. And then he professes. He says, now I know that God, the Lord, was God. Another king in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 34, verse 27. This is King Josiah. And again, don't have time to go through all the history, but basically there was a cleansing, a, a renovation of the temple. There was a word of God that was hidden, that was found, or it was neglected, and it was found, and it's brought, the word, it brought is, is, the word of God is brought to him, and he listens to it. So it says in verse 18, 
Um, yeah, let me jump back. I'm sorry. In, in chapter 34, verse 18, it says, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath, hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So the king hears the word of God. He allows the man of God to give him, uh, proclaim the word of God, and he sits and he listens to it. And it says, It came to pass when the king heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. He rent his clothes. He tore his clothes. He was, he was convicted. He was affected by the word of God. And, um, and there's a response to what God told him. Okay. And then long story short, um, a prophet, God uses a prophet to come and speak to Josiah. This is verse 27. This is what the prophet's message was to the king. Because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God. When thou heardest his words against his place and against the inhabitants thereof and humbled thyself before me and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I, even I, have heard thee also, saith the Lord. So God hears what Josiah said. God hears how Josiah responded. And God says, I have come and I've heard you. And God ends up proclaiming a blessing and a protection for him. But he did speak of the consequences that would come to Israel, to Judah, because of their disobedience. Psalm 10, verse 17 says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. Let me read that one more time. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. Isaiah 57, 15 says, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Almost seems like a paradox there, right? Here's this high and great God who lives in a high and holy place. He says, I'm also going to be with them that are of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This high and lofty God is with the man that's humble and contrite. Amazing. Amazing how God is. I want to turn now to just three general, I guess, applications to what it really means to be humble as a Christian, as a born-again man and woman of God. And you could probably list Many of them, but I just wanted to focus on these three. These are the three that the Lord gave me. The first one is having humility and receiving the preaching of conviction. Humility and receiving the preaching of conviction are the, the word of God. And Paul talked about this uh, with the Thessalonians. He wasn't about flattery and making them hear what they wanted to hear, perhaps. First Thessalonians 2 Verses 4 to 6. If y'all can turn with me there, I think it's, it's good to look at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. So Paul is speaking about the very important responsibility a, a preacher, a pastor has in being entrusted 
with the gospel. Even so we speak. So we speak the gospel. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our heart. So the heart of a man of God, with the word of God, with the gospel of God, his heart has to speak what God says. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our heart. Men and women of God that proclaim them, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, whatever it may be, there's a great responsibility. It says God trieth our heart. There's, a, there's an accountability to God for what is spoken. Amen. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor cloak of covetousness. covetousness. God is witness. Amen. Y'all, I want the man of God. I want the woman of God. I want the prophet of God to speak the word of God into my heart, even when it's offending. I don't want to just be flattered and just feel good about myself. And again, I'm not speaking about encouragement. We do need encouragement. We need exhortation. That's very important for a Christian to have because we can become downtrodden. But when God's trying to deal with something in my heart that's not right, I want God to have that freedom. And let me be honest, this flesh doesn't want that. This flesh, no. Let me be comfortable. I don't want to be humble. I don't want to be undignified in front of other people. But that Spirit of God in me, there's a hunger, there's a stirring. Amen. And I want God's Spirit to rule in my heart. And for me to walk in that spirit. I don't want to just be flattered. I don't want to just be told how wonderful I am and, and just how wonderful God is. And that's it. Nothing deeper than that. I want God to, to, to grow me and to sanctify me. Amen. And again, I've, I've said it again, but I just want to make it very clear because there, there can be things that can be twisted. It is important to hear encouragement. It is important to be exhorted. But it's just as important to be corrected, to be convicted, and to be challenged. Because that's how we're going to be effective for the Lord. Not for our glory, not through our own vain glory and our own efforts. God through us as we humble ourselves before Him. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. So what is this proverb saying? That at the beginning, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> it's not going to be well received at the beginning. Okay, rebuking in itself is not, doesn't sound like a pleasant thing. But afterwards, the man that receives it in the Lord, and this is a godly rebuke, a man that receives in the Lord is going to be blessed. There's going to be more favor than he that flattereth with a tongue. Next point I would just want to make in, in point number two. Humility in both providing instruction and being accountable. So just as I need to be humble in receiving the word of God and the conviction that comes, I need to be humble in how I provide the word of God in myself being accountable. Amen. If I can turn with me, let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And so what this is saying, when there's a God uses you to bring correction, to bring the word of God, to bring truth to a brother, do it in meekness. Be meek, be humble, and consider yourself lest thou be lest thou also be tempted. And so God's giving you discernment about something. He's giving you discernment about a doctrine. He's giving you discernment about an issue. Be humble in how you share that with someone. And for yourself, he says, consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Oh, I would never fall into that sin. I would never fall into that deception. Just as someone else can fall into those things, you can fall into those things as well. God's calling you to be sober. Be very careful because as God's using you to do that, don't let pride build up in your heart and say, well, I'm, I'm, I can't believe they didn't see that. I can't believe they fell into that. You can as well. Amen. And that's when, when the devil can come in the back door and you be deceived and you fall into sin just like that other person did. Very important to be careful. Uh, if y'all can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And this speaks into godly accountability. Not just accountability to men for accountability's sake, but accountability to God's word through those men and that authority. First Peter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so he's speaking to the elders, those that have more experience in the Lord, the younger um, coming under them and that teaching. And then to one another, um, be accountable to one another, be clothed with humility. It says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. See how that, that word humble is used so much in the Bible? If you just look up that reference, a reference for humble, you'll see it all through the Bible. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Amen. I want to be humble to God. I want to be humble and accountable in, in the group that God's given me, in the church that he's given me. Amen. Point number three, humility in forgiving others. Humility and forgiving others. Uh, if y'all can turn with me to Colossians chapter three. How many of y'all have ever had problems forgiving somebody? I have. I think all of us have. It's hard. It's hard for this flesh to forgive, to forgive especially when the wrong was really wrong. Verse 12, put on therefore, put it on, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That one can hit kind of sharp sometimes. It's hard to forgive, you know. I'm glad God doesn't forgive like I forgive. And it doesn't mean that something that was done wrong to you is just winked over and it's, you know, it's nothing. But let God deal with it. 
Amen. And you forgive that person. You forgive that person in your heart. The same way God forgave you, you forgive them. You know, I think sometimes whenever we've been wronged, we want to see that other person fail. We want to see that other person suffer as a result. This flesh is just wants its vengeance. And guys, let me tell you this morning, that is wrong. That's carnal. It's carnal and it's wrong. If someone has wronged you, sincerely pray that God helps them. Sincerely pray that they don't get deeper into that and that they're safe from it. But this selfish carnal heart doesn't want that. They want to see that person pay. That is wrong. Amen. And I don't want to keep harping on it, but it's so important. It says put it on. That means there's a, there's a godly effort. God, help me to put this on. God, help me to forgive. God, help my heart to be tender and to be humble and to be meek. Because just like they have wronged me, how much more have I wronged you? How much have you been long-suffering with me? Amen. And it's so important for us to be humble, y'all, that way, and to forgive others. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. That's pretty intense. And I believe this situation can speak, or this verse can speak into two situations. There's the offense that comes from the Word of God, where there's a closing up, those bars are shut, and you're not going to get in this castle, God. Nope, I'm offended. Naaman could have done that. He could have gone in his chariot. Let's hop back to Syria. I'm done. Nope. He was accountable in a sense to those servants. And they said, hey, there was something bigger when you have done it. Humble yourself and do what God's told you to do. Amen. And then we can be offended. We can, others can be offended or we can be offended by what others do. And instead of forgiving, we bar up like that. We become bitter and hard towards that person and maybe towards other people as well. When God's calling us to be meek. First Peter three four, in this verse, y- y'all can turn with me. Let's let's go ahead and turn, and I'm bringing this message to a close. We're going to look at two scriptures together. And so in this passage in First Peter, this is speaking about the, the women and, and not being about what they look like on the outside and what they put on and everything, but what God is looking at. Verse 4, well, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God. A small price, a minimal thing, not a big deal. No, that's not what it says. What it says, in the sight of God, a great price. God sees a meek and quiet spirit in a man or woman of God as something of great price, meaning something very precious, something that God values very greatly. All right, y'all turn with me to one more scripture. Philippians chapter 2.
And as you're turning there, you know, Jesus was literally the Son of God. We know that, right? He came from the most royal, the most beautiful, the great presence of God. He came and he was born as a man just like you and us. And he deserved all the glory. He deserved all the worship. He deserved all those things. But what did he do? He, he came as a servant. In verse 7 it says, Speaking of Jesus, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And y'all, the greatest example of humility, ironically, because there's no need for humility, is God in, in Jesus incarnate. He was the greatest example of humility. You see the long-suffering, how Jesus forgave, even, even the, the disciples, his, his group of men that were close to him, they ate together, they went, they traveled together, all those kind of things. Whenever Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and they're in that garden, he's, he's praying and he's asking them to pray and they can't pray. How discouraged would you be if you're about to go through something great and the people close to you don't even pray like you asked them to pray? And then one of them says, hey, I'm never going to leave you. I'm your best, best man. The closest, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And he gets, he gets there and he curses. After the third time, he curses what does Jesus do? He forgives him. He forgives betrayal, y'all. He forgives all those things. He's so, in that in Jesus, when he was on this earth, he was so humble and he was so long-suffering, he forgave so much. I asked the Lord this morning, please, God, make me humble like that. Help me to be humble to the things that you're speaking in some of my heart. And I pray as... And, and God has given uh, our pastor wonderful messages that have convicted me personally a lot. I pray that as God gives him messages and other messages, that I don't get offended in things that God's trying to speak to me. Maybe there's a message where God is speaking about pride. Maybe there's a message where God's speaking about selfishness. Maybe there's a message where God's speaking about covetousness. Maybe there's a message where God's speaking about unforgiveness. Maybe there's a message about worldliness. And those things are in your heart. And God's speaking to you in those hearts, convicting you, telling you, you need to repent of those things. And maybe God's calling you to come to the altar and to pray and ask for forgiveness. You all know what's happened to me? Let me just be honest. The Holy Spirit speaks that in my heart. I'm like, oh, no, 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 God. I'll just, I'll just pray when I get home. I'll pray in my chair. I'll pray right here. I don't want people to, 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 to think of what maybe is wrong in my heart. I don't want them to see me there. And I'm not saying that if you don't go to the altar, you're disobeying God. I'm just speaking about the Holy Spirit speaking to me. But if God's calling you to do that simple thing, to kneel at the altar, to kneel at your chair, do I resist? Do I let that pride keep me and that offense keep me from doing what God's told me to do? And all along, God's trying to bring healing into that. All along, God's trying to deal with that pride in my heart. All along, God's trying to deal with that covetousness in my heart, that unforgiveness in my heart, that worldliness in my heart. And in that pride, I resist God. In that pride, I resist the simple things that he's asking me to do. But you know what? Sometimes those simplest things are the most humbling things. 
We in our flesh want to be dignified. We don't want people to see us vulnerable. And y'all, it's not about, I'm not saying it's about what other people think. It shouldn't be what about other people think. But we allow those things to keep us from God doing what he desires to do. And the, and the maturity and the strength and the, the sanctifying work that God's desiring to do. So many times Alberto Dupuy resists. He's offended by what God is telling him. And I stay there. Can I just go to the rivers in my home and dip there? Why do I need to do it here? God's calling Naaman to do it in the River Jordan, not in his home place. Because God was dealing with something very specific to Naaman. I'm not saying that's the same situation forever, but God is dealing something with you and with you and with you. A particular thing he's touching. That he's touching in me as well. But y'all, it's so easy. It's so easy for me to see a fault in someone else when all along, and I say this, I pray I, I am relaying this message in humility as well because every verse I'm reading is a great conviction to me. I pray that you would pray for me that I would let God have that work in my heart, that I would be humble, that I would be meek like God desires me to be meek. Amen. Misty, if you can come up. It's neat that uh, actually the, the passage that Chris Wilcox read this morning part of it the Lord had given me for this message. If y'all can stand, please, and just listen to this passage as I read it. Lamentations chapter 3. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search. So there's a complaining about a punishment for what God's done. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with their hands unto the God in the heavens. We have transgressed and, are, and have rebelled. So here there's a confession with, to God. I have wronged you. I complain about my situation. But I pray help me to search my ways and turn to God. Help me to lift up my heart with my hands to the God of the heavens. There's a humility there. And say and confess I have transgressed and I have rebelled. Amen. The first part of that chapter has a wonderful promise. It says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. We're not just left in desolation. After the sharp word comes. This I recall to mind. Therefore, have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Y'all, it is of the Lord's mercies. This vile person standing at this pulpit is not consumed. Because his his compassions fail not. God's compassions fail not, y'all. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him. And Lord, I just pray for me. I pray for us individually, Lord. And I pray... For us as a church, corporately, I pray, God, help us to be humble before you, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves before you, God. Just particular situations, maybe in our heart, God, that you've been dealing with, Lord, and we've been resisting. Our heart has been resisting, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves before you. 
repent and confess it before you. And God, that that healing river Jordan, God, would come and heal that, that, that river of God would come, the blood of Jesus would come and heal and make whole and make new. And God, I pray, help us to be vulnerable. Help us to be meek. Help us, God, to just lay ourselves before you, God. And I thank you, God, that God, that by your mercies we're not consumed. And your mercy fails not, God. It's new every morning, God. It doesn't matter how badly I've messed up. Manasseh was a wicked, wicked man. But God, he humbled himself. You brought him to a place where he was very broken. And he humbled himself greatly before you, Lord. I pray, let me be that way. God, for Josiah that heard the word of God, he wanted to hear the word of God. He reacted, God, in a, in a humbling way, God. And your word says that you heard him. God, I pray, hear those that humble themselves before you this morning. God, hear the cries of their heart, Lord. Hear the cry of my heart, Lord. Help us to be humble. Help us to be more and more like Jesus every day, Lord. Thank you, Father.